Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. This is episode number 68. Um, and I'm going to do a solo podcast today. I'm sorry I missed last week. Sorry, there's a mark on my screen. I need to scratch off. I missed last week's podcast. Uh, we were in London for a workshop and then I came back and I picked up a flu that really knocked me out for like a week or so. Actually, I always think like every time if I go months and months and months without getting sick and I, I see someone who's sick like who picked up a flu or something, I, I always think like, I'll, oh, I'd battle through that. I'd be fine. I'd keep going or whatever. And then every time it hits me. So I just, I just, I just don't like, you just have no energy and you realize how much I know it this sounds obvious, but you realize like how much you rely on energy to do things. And I know that sounds obvious, but it's, it's not even like, uh, you just you just have no energy. You just literally want to lie on the couch, which makes sense. I suppose your body is just trying to recover. Just use all your energy to like fight off whatever little bug is inside you. So, uh, so yeah, we had a great workshop in London. I really enjoyed it so much. London is a great city. We went to. I was there twice in three weeks. I was talking at PerformX the first time, and then doing the workshop the second time. We stayed in around kind of Chelsea area, which is very, very nice, very posh. So Kensington all around there, lots of nice cars and nice houses. And um, we went to see Frozen the first time in the West End and uh, The Lion King the second time. And Frozen, I think I said Frozen was like nine out of 10 black puddings. And The Lion King, honestly, everyone said it was going to be amazing. The Lion King. Three out of 10 black puddings, not very good at all. Really like, really disappointing. Felt like the music was too low. The, the people either weren't very good or were like not giving it socks at all. They like, they were like off their game a little bit or either they weren't very good or, or they were off their game. So Lion King was super disappointing. Um, really, really disappointing, except for the, the monkey, the baboon. You know, the monkey that's like Simba, that person or that woman was brilliant. And the rest of them were really poor. I think it's tricky when you have kids, I think, because in Frozen, they had kids as well, obviously, at the start of it. And then in The Lion King, like Simba as a kid and Nal as a kid at the start of it as well. And their voices just aren't strong enough. They just don't carry well enough. Um, uh, so like there is a big difference between. It doesn't mean they're not good, but it's not like a musical where it's like, boom, in your face. So the kids' voices aren't probably just strong enough. And like both shows got better when the adults took over. Um, but I think especially the boy in The Lion King, his voice just wasn't strong enough. He was a good dancer and he was a good kind of actor and stuff like that. But his voice just wasn't strong enough. And then even the like old Simba that took over just wasn't wasn't great either so Lion King was a bit disappointing but apart from that London was brilliant I think the workshop um it was interesting actually because loads of people knew each other in the workshop loads of the girls there knew each other um or had met online and stuff like that so that was an interesting one um because usually you're trying to like you're trying to it, it's just interesting like for the first like couple of hours of the day people are a bit 
apprehensive and they're trying to suss each other out a little bit but here they all there are a lot of them knew each other really well but always regardless by the by the end of the weekend like everyone is friends and stuff like that and that's a an important thing i think for the workshop so so yeah i got i got a bit sick and i actually end up missing like te- uh, 10 days of jiu-jitsu as a result because we we're in london for four and then i was sick for a week so i went back to jiu-jitsu last night and i was absolutely gassed even just doing a couple of techniques completely gassed um, but then we were rolling at the end and it was just literally like had no energy to to fight someone off me at all. Um, and when you combine no energy and no skill, then you end up on the bottom flat on your back with someone's like arm in your face a lot of the time. So not so good. But I didn't get tapped out. That was the important thing. Um, so a couple of uh, questions I'm going to talk our answer today. One is like a little businessy one around running ads on Instagram. One is... Uh, would you ever train like ribs up in an anterior tilted position? And one is how prepared do you think young physios are when they leave uni and enter the workplace? So three questions that I'll try and cover. Um, it was the end of Q1 the other day. Um, so quarter one in the business. I think we had a good first. Actually, well, it depends how you measure it. But like revenue wise and profit wise, it was our best quarter ever. I think I can I can see why. Obviously, we released a new program. We released the Foot and Achilles program. A lot of people bought that. We sold some workshop tickets and stuff like that. But um, that doesn't necessarily just account for everything. We we had a really good quarter, and I think even like if you look at the inputs that we put into the business and the outputs we get out, so the outputs are like predictable revenue and hopefully profit. Input wise, like we did better with content our podcast seemed to be growing a bit um or at least like the back ca- the back catalog of e- of episodes was has seems to be getting played a lot so either that's like a lot of people are finding the podcast and going back and listening or yeah that's what it is either either that or nothing else that's what it is people are coming across the podcast and and maybe liking one of the recent episodes for whatever reason and then going back and listening. So that's uh, that's been good. Um, I think some of our own ads have been working pretty well. That's been good. And yeah, I've just been enjoying... Uh, I kind of like... I have a little phrase that I use to my, with myself. I don't think I've mentioned it before. It's not like my phrase or anything like that, but like where you just turn turn the knob up to 12 for a little while. And we, I feel like we, we probably didn't turn it to 12 for the first quarter, but we turned it definitely up a good bit for the first quarter of the year. And I'm feeling maybe that sickness was me getting a bit fatigued and like run down and needing to take my foot off the pedal for a while. So we definitely turned the knob towards 12 for a while. And I think that's an underrated, like underrated strategy, um, which is not like having not having a super strategic way of going about things. It's just like turning, just turn the knob up to 12 for a while. If we relate it back to like the fitness industry, which is like, oh, okay, a, a fat loss transformation. Everyone says like they don't, they don't really work. Like, okay, 90 day transformations are, are fast, hard stuff doesn't really work. It needs to be sustainable. And I'm not so sure about that. I'm really not. Like if you look at, in in fat loss what actually works not much 
there's obviously a massive obesity epidemic in the world. And I would say most people that are overweight, fat and obese are have tried at some stage to in a like some some kind of a sustainable quote unquote manner to lose weight and guess what like that hasn't worked either so the, the people who knock the like kind of quick fix or the fast approach i understand that but at the same time like most approaches don't work for people who are trying to lose weight or trying to do anything in their lives to be honest they always just regardless they just seem to whether it's a fast or slow approach they just fall into their old habits so i think like i think and and this is the same thing with people like okay setting new year's resolutions oh don't bother all the trainers are like don't bother setting new year's resolutions uh, what's the difference between today and like why didn't you set it last week if it was so important to you and i have no problem with people setting new year's resolutions or like just saying fuck it i'm i am going to try and change all my habits at one time i don't i actually think that's a good strategy sometimes and that seems to be what works best with me is like when i train hard i also eat better i also sleep better i also seem to work harder and all of these dark things that come along together rather than just like okay just train one time more in the gym than you were before that doesn't seem to work well for me it's like and i i i'm not saying this is like a good attitude or a sustainable attitude i think it's i think it's sustainable i think it I think it's relatively sustainable. I'm not saying everyone should do it, but like for me, it just doesn't make sense to train, like to go from training jujitsu zero times a week, for example, to twice a week. It makes sense. Like twice just doesn't feel enough. Four, four or five times feels enough if I want to make get better. Um, and that goes the same with like our content and stuff like that. Like posting once or twice a week just doesn't feel like it's enough it feels like it needs to be every day um like yeah so i i I, maybe i'm just someone who like kind of tries to push everything in in the right direction all at the same time and i need to feel that like faster progress rather than for some people i think like that 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 slower approach seems to work better it's I, I, it's the same thing again with like people who say like oh get rich quick schemes like don't you don't want to get rich quick of course i fucking want to get rich quick why would i want to get rich slow i'm young i want to get rich as fast as i can that type of thing so um so yeah i probably didn't explain that well but i think like for a certain period turning the knob up to 12 and just going right yes and, and just accept that yes there's going to be for some fatigue but we're going to push let's push for for the next little while a defined set period of time maybe and i didn't define the period of time but i knew q1 we were going to push hard and we did and it was incredibly successful at least financial financially wise but that does lead you then to always with financial goals every time i've set financial goals or like sales i want to sell x amount of programs i've had a i've had a tricky thing because your foot you're battling like against yourself immediately because you're always trying to one-up yourself you're on that hedonic treadmill so it ends up where okay we had the best q1 we we did x amount in q1 and then the first day of q2 what do you have for yourself? You almost have like a target that it's like, okay, instead of it being, okay, Q1 was amazing. Like you have two options, really. Q1 was amazing. And does that mean we can back off in Q2? Because like we picked up all this revenue. Let's imagine that we picked up two quarters of revenue just in Q1, which we actually probably did. So 
like, does that mean, because I know some people would then straight away say, okay, you can back off in Q2 then, just relax. You've basically done all your work already for Q2, but me straight away it's like actually this means q2 needs to be as good or we set a target and we need to try and beat that now in q2 so that's a really tricky thing that i haven't figured out and that's been going on for years where every time you hit a goal the celebration like gets shorter um the celebration turns to like instead of being like delighted for a week okay oh my god this is amazing look what we just did you're delighted for like a day or an hour and then you're like okay oh shit now we need to try and beat this so i don't i really don't know where that ends i really do not know where that ends but i don't know the other option for me doesn't work particularly well which is like okay just be happy not that you can't be happy with what you've got but just don't don't use that now as a target to try and beat that i i find that tricky i don't find that works for me very well but that leaves me with one other option, which is like, no matter what you do, no matter how successful you are, you're always going to want to beat it. So that's good and bad. And I don't know how to balance that yet. So that's just no answers there, just questions, I suppose. Um, okay, so the first question, let me just pick up my pen. Hang on. Uh, oh, no, I just lost the spring. So first question, when should you... When do you suggest starting to run ads on Instagram? Um Okay, I've got and I've gotten this question a good few times. People are usually asking, like, should it be at an X number of followers? Should it be at when you have a certain amount of engagement? Um, should it be when you have certain products for sale or services for sale or what type of ads, all this stuff? So I get this question all the time. Um, I get this question. It's obviously a question that's going to come up with like people that you're kind of mentoring a little bit on the business side. So I would say there's no right or wrong answer, first of all. Secondly, I would say when you run ads, it's not a lifetime commitment. So you can run an ad for a little while. And the great thing with an ad is you could turn it off. Okay. So you can just turn it on and you can turn it off. So that, that, what that means is you can try something, you can test it. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. You haven't like, what have you lost? Yes, you've lost some, some money, but I wouldn't even view that as, as losing. I would view that as learning. Okay. So for me, if you wanted to run ads, I think you can try it, but I think if you're going to try it, you have to understand that I'm, I'm playing with money that I, I can afford to lose here. And I'm playing with money that if I lose it, I don't mind. If it doesn't come back to me, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to never do ads again or anything like that. I'm just going to say this is money that is basically as soon as I turn this on, I'm going to have X amount and I'm going to let it run for X X amount of time and not just run, but tweak it and play with it and stuff like that. Because you could put up an ad, just a single image ad running to a product and that could be that could work incredibly well, be unbelievably successful with a blue pick with a with blue writing and not work at all with red writing. And like there's people being paid millions of dollars a year, copywriters and all this stuff for big, big, big companies who are being hired in as consultants just to change the font or something like that. And actually it could change everything. So 
or just to change a couple of words or the call to action or something like that. And that is an arc. So I think, and that's not something that I'm amazing at. I, I, I don't have the bandwidth to make, to, to put the energy to put into that at the moment. Um, but I think we're okay at it and our ads have been relatively successful. There's certainly been a positive return on ad spend all the time, but I would say don't expect that to be the case and you need to tweak it and play with it. And if you're not willing to play with it and if you're not willing to say, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to lose a few hundred dollars here without getting what looks like any return. You could be getting a return. It could be just hard to measure, but I'm willing to lose that. Then I would say if you're not willing to lose that, then don't even start in the first place. That's the first thing. Hey guys, David here. Just a quick break from the show. Wanted to remind you about our new foot and Achilles program. It's over 1000 users now. And if you're not one of those, then you definitely should be. There's so much learnings in there, helping people get from kind of sore, inflexible, immobile, not very strong feet all the way up to feet that can handle high levels of impact, very strong, very mobile. And you learn so much along the way, you get lifetime access. So absolutely, if you're interested in movement, I honestly think this is a non-negotiable program that you should have access to. So check out the link in the show notes for the foot and Achilles program. Secondly, I would say if you're running ads to sell a product, so let's say our service. So let's say you're running ads for one-to-one personal training. You're running ads for your clinic. Um, you're running ads for a new program that you released or, or a program that you released. If you're not selling any of that product slash service organically, then I would suggest running ads is probably going to be a waste of time because there's something fundamentally wrong with the offering, I would say. So you should be at least able to sell some of what you are already trying to sell without having to uh, pump ad dollars into it. So that I think that's a really important thing. You should be already selling some of the thing organically. If you're not and you're pumping ad dollars in, then... I don't be surprised if no one buys it because there's a, something fundamentally flawed with the offering in the first place. So I would look at the offer. First of all, what are you actually selling? What is the promise that you're giving to people? If they, if I buy this, if I give you X money, you're going to give me Y value in this form. So I think that is really important to understand. So there's a few things now we have like, we have, okay, are you willing to lose some money? And don't view it as like, okay, I've just lost, but I've I've learned something by doing it. Uh, secondly, are you are you actually able to sell what you're selling organically first? And ju- I'm just using the ad dollars to get it in front of more eyeballs. So that's really important. Um, thirdly, I think if you're doing it on Instagram, which you're, this was this question, then I think you need to have good organic content first. So if you're Let's say, let's say you're advertising to people who already follow you, but so they, they've clicked follow for some at first at some point, and you're just going to set, um, you're just going to run ads to people who already follow you. If they're not, if, if your, if your organic content isn't good, if it's not getting decent engagement and stuff, I would spend my time fixing that first because 
people aren't going to have perceived enough value in your organic content maybe to maybe go and buy um something directly from an ad so i would always prioritize this this is the answer for almost everything i would pri- always prior- prioritize organic content first to build that trust and to make sure that i'm giving value uh, so that when I run the ad, they almost feel obliged to buy something from me. They feel like, and hopefully I would guess that like 99.9% of the people on the podcast. No, I'm not. I don't know if everyone on the pod, listening to the podcast has bought something. Sorry. Everyone listening to podcasts definitely probably has bought something from me. I don't know if everyone has bought something from ads. Maybe 60% of people have bought something from an ad, let's say 50%. Um, but they probably all got a ton of value from me first on in more my organic content before they went and bought something from an ad. So I think that's really important. And I think that is the one that I think people make the mistake with the most. I get ads on my page all the time from different people advertising some like shitty, they just boost a shit piece of content, like a shit piece of organic content. And I'm like, okay, this content clearly didn't do well when you posted it organically, obviously, because it's a piece of shit content. So why like you're boosting it to try get shit content, more eyeballs. That doesn't make sense. You should be. And that's like an engagement ad where you're trying to get more people to look at your stuff. But if it's absolutely dog shit, and oftentimes I do, I, I actually all the time, almost all the time, if I see an ad that's re- related to this space, not like a uh, okay, buy my Teraband or something like that, but like uh, someone who's advertising their product or their service, um, which is like buy one to one sessions with me, come into my clinic, buy my new program. That's everything. I'll often click into their page directly from that ad, and like I can just be, I can just tell you for sure that like no one is buying that thing on that ad if your organic content is shit in the first place, and for the most part, it is shit, and for the most part, um. Sorry, not for the most part, but a lot of the time it is shit. And obviously the ad is shit as well. Then so I think there's three things like how do you know when to start running ads? When you number one, actually, by far number one, if your organic content is is it don't I'm not saying it has to be amazing, but if it's decent, if it's pretty good, if it looks like people are enjoying it, there if if you're getting feedback, which is this is helpful to me, then that's a good time to start to think about amplifying that message with regards to ads. That could be ads with regards to, okay, I'm just running ads now to, to get more eyeballs, or I'm actually trying to sell a specific product or service to the eyeballs that I already have. So there's two different um, types of offerings there. So that is number one, actually, or good organic content that's already helpful. Number two, are you actually willing to lose the money and view it as a lesson rather than just like, oh, that didn't work oh shit, what the fuck was I thinking? And then the third one was, I can't remember what the third one was. I said that a minute ago. Um, So those are, I think those are the main things with regards to running ads on Instagram. And the other thing then to consider is like your return on ad spend. So if, for example, you have like a $20 program and you're trying to advertise that to sell that program and it costs you $20 to to let's say to to acquire that customer on average so it costs you twenty dollars so your return on ad spend is your your return on your investment is i put out a dollar and i get a dollar back i would view that as a massive success that's definitely a massive success 
because now you've got a customer presuming that the product is actually good. If the product is shit, that's not a success because you all you've done is convince someone like to never buy anything from you again. So that's not good. Presuming the product is good. You've actually got something. You've got their email and they've got something from you, which kind of convinces them. OK, this person is good. So what that means is you're going to have to follow it up with another sale to get a positive return on that investment. But I would still consider like that, getting that email, get acquiring that customer as a positive return in the first place, presuming your product is good. So that's really important. Um, and that that is something to really consider. But if you're just selling like one-off products, which is some of the time, like we, we are kind of doing that, but for me, for example, when I advertise lower body basics to people who haven't bought lower body basics, I'm, I'm, I don't have the exact numbers on this, but I'm almost certain if they're the right person. So a lot of people will, some people will buy it who like, they're not necessarily the right person to have bought it in the first place. There's someone who is just looking for like a quick fix, like a five minute, like, whatever, and they might buy it. They're not necessarily the right person. Now, they, obviously, that's still money in the bank for us. But really, what I'm trying to do is acquire a customer, not just acquire uh, the, the money from a one-off transaction. So I'm trying to acquire that customer in the first place. And I want to make sure that we're advertising to the right people. And I'm I'm certain that if someone buys lower body basics, which everyone listening probably has done, like, then they've done that for a little bit. They might not have done it all, but they've seen it. They've learned some things really quickly that they n- didn't learn anywhere else. Um, they've we've built trust with regards to like how I coach and stuff like that, and they'll they'll like it. So I'm certain they'll like it, and I'm certain they'll go and buy something else. So so they'll buy another program. They'll buy another program. So for us, most people who buy lower body basics end up buying all of our programs end up with core upper body the foot and they end up in the mem- a lot of them end up in the membership if they're coaches and therapists then as well so like that really if you're running ads you have to have some kind of model which is trying to push people along and if you're just running ads just to sell like one one-off program i think that is not going to work particularly well because how much are you going to actually charge for that program? You'd want to be charging a lot, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. Um, otherwise, you're you're acquiring customers that you don't actually have anything. You've nowhere for them to go really after that product or that program in the first place. So I would say if you're selling like if you're selling a cheap program or something like that then the 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 goal really should be if you're selling that through ads then the goal really should be okay i'm going to get them on like a higher ticket coaching offer or something very soon after i sell that and that comes back to like your funnel and stuff like that so that is something to think about and you do see a lot of people now just like releasing one off program trying to advertise that and actually I would say their return on ad spend is is not positive. And even if they acquired that customer and even if they broke even, they have nothing else. Like they have nowhere for them to go. And it's it's a it's a bit of a short term strategy. So you need to have a, a slightly longer term strategy when you start to run ads. But in general, like you can play around with this stuff and and 
just have a budget towards it and actually just view it as acquire, I'm acquiring skills. I'm learning about advertising. I'm learning about marketing. I'm learning about a little bit about copywriting. I'm learning about like the psychology of, of making a buying decision. So I would view that as all good stuff and um, don't view it just as, okay, I just lost. So that's what I would say there. Uh, hopefully that's helpful. Hey guys, David here. Just a very short break from the show. Just wanted to remind you, DGR Interactive, our members-only platform. Uh, there's 800 coaches and therapists uh, learning with us every week in there. It's pretty much like our own little mini university where there's over 200 videos that breaks down everything about movement that you can imagine. Practicals, theories, case studies, uh, biomechanics, rehab, strength training, plyometrics, absolutely everything, each by body part and all that stuff. So if you're interested in movement, you want to get better results with your clients and ultimately have a better career, then I strongly recommend you join us. So I'll put the link in the show notes for DGR Interactive. Second one, how how prepared do you think young physios are when they leave uni and enter, enter the workplace? So obviously this question was from a young physio and I think he was saying like just basically how overwhelmed he was working with clients. Now, Obviously, this is a tricky one for me to answer because I have a bit of a, I've a bit of a strange kind of route into this industry, and my education was like all over the place, so uh, unconventional, I would say. So it's a tricky one for me to answer in that regard. But also, I'm privileged enough to get a, the the chance to meet and talk to lots of young physios and coaches and therapists as well, uh, and all kinds of therapists, and hear like different experiences. And I would say. Obviously, the answer is like very, very underprepared. And I would say that's fine. Um, I would say I, I don't have or I, I, I sh you shouldn't feel like you're you've been wronged by being underprepared when you when you enter into the workplace. I think the bigger issue is um, physios, a lot of physios not acknowledging that they're underprepared. That is a big, the bigger issue because the schooling system is making them believe that they have all the answers. And that is definitely a big issue because they go out and suddenly they realize, oh, oh shit, all the shit that I have learned isn't actually working. Actually, hopefully they learn how hopefully they acknowledge that all the shit isn't actually working or a lot of this shit isn't working. And now I need to like start to learn elsewhere and learn from my experiences, of course, and learn from elsewhere, learn from my colleagues, learn from different courses, blah, 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 blah. So hopefully they acknowledge that. But some people stick their head in the sand and just think they, they think maybe it is working. Like this is as good as it gets. This is the best way of treating pain is just doing it this way. And some people get better. Some people don't. The people that don't, it's their fault. The people that get better, I'm a hero. Um, so hopefully they act like, and genuinely, that is a large proportion of the industry. That That is how they think. They think I have the answers. And that means if you're not getting, if you're not getting better, you're, you're the issue, not me. So I would say, firstly, obviously they're underprepared. Secondly, that's fine. If you acknowledge uh, that when you get in there, like, okay, this isn't working particularly well. I need to, I need to, um, I need to upskill significantly rather than just thinking, I just did this course that was very taxing, very hard on me. I learned a shit ton of stuff. I crammed my brain with stuff. And guess what? Like half of it is, is useless or not particularly useful or outdated. Um, so that's fine. But if you're someone who 
doesn't acknowledge that, then you're obviously going to struggle and you're just going to be spending 30 years unhappy and, and tricking yourself and thinking that, uh, think, thinking that like you can, you're thinking that the way you're helping people, which is not very, not giving people significant help is the best way possible. And that's, that's like where you lose complete faith in the industry at the end of it. So that's what I would say there. I also, I would say it's important to acknowledge because I know physios get very frustrated sometimes with the education that they receive and like that it's not up to scratch and stuff like that. I would say that that is a broader issue with the schooling system in general that we need to acknowledge and say it's not just physios, it's not just chiros, it's not just osteos, it's business school, it's um, it's the me- it's medical school, it's it's everything, it's everything you're until we get to a stage where our teachers and our lecturers are actually measured on something meaningful rather than like, can you actually sit down and recite something back to me, uh, write something down on a piece of paper that you read and just recorded in your mind until we get to a stage where people are examined on critical thinking and communication and um, being able to like hold two ideas in their mind at the same time and flesh something out until we get to that stage, then obviously you're going to be underprepared because the real world is having the ability to hold two, um, two diverse or several ideas in your mind at the same time and actually being, being able to flesh it out and trying to find not what the right answer is, but what the least wrong answer maybe is in this situation or what the best answer that we have right now is rather than just this is the answer to that. So I would say it's the school system in general that we need to like not to be angry at rather than the just like physiotherapy, just strength and conditioning, just osteo, just chiro or whatever. So it does come back to like the system and your and your lectures and stuff like that. Um, I will say that there's lots of good stuff. I think that physios are probably learning as well, like the diagnostic side of it. I know it's not completely accurate or anything like that, but they they do have a very good. They do have a very good grasp of anatomy not functional anatomy i want to be clear they have a terrible grasp on functional anatomy but they do have a lot of names of muscles and ligaments and tendons and injuries in their head and that's very useful and it's particularly useful for acute issues so very very good there um and getting better at that um so that that's something that like is very valuable to have i think on the coaching side of things absolutely terrible for the most part, dog shit. A, a personal trainer that's been in the industry that that did three weeks of learning is better than usually better than um and like yeah than most physios at actually being able to coach and actually understanding exercise selection far better. And actually, not just a personal trainer. Let me say someone who an athlete who's gone to the gym for three months is knows more about exercise selection program design um adaptation to be honest than most physios and that's that's an issue and i think i've spoken about that before where i'm certain i've spoken about that before maybe on the podcast where like this should be scary for physios because now you're starting to see educated clients uh, sorry not just physios like anyone who's a coach in the industry anyone who works with movement you're starting to see 
a lot of it is because social media, you're starting to see educated clients come in and, and maybe question you on why, why would I do that exercise? Why not this one? Or like, can you write a program for me? Or they're coming in and saying, here's the exact things that I feel like I need to work on. Do you agree or do you disagree? And why? And they'll challenge you. And I mean that in a good way. So like, if you have no idea how to look at movement, observe it, um, choose exercises, write a program, coach movement, then like where we're at now, imagine where we're going to be in another few years where more and more people are more and more educated around movement. Um, yeah, you're going to, you're going to struggle. I think I consistently get surprised by like regular Joe soaps who I meet and they say, I love, like, I love watching your stuff on Instagram saying to me, or I love watching like, Oh, do you follow these people on Instagram? Look at how they talk about movement. And I love looking at it. I, and so it just shows that people are inherently curious about looking at movement and now social media is bringing their attention. Obviously there's more attention on, um, how important exercise is in, in not just in the industry, but in the world. And people are getting more educated, smarter and more curious about it. And unfortunately, I don't think the education for physios and therapists in general is reflecting that at the moment. Um, certainly not like university education. It's still, and I've spoken to, to a couple of physios who are more new grads recently about this and, and they were mentioning how they can't get their phys, they can't turn their physio brain off. When a client comes in, it's all like all that there is going through their head is diagnostics. I just want to diagnose this person. And like I did a I did a, a session with someone recently, a physio and someone else, and, and they were saying like how it was in their mind, like they were looking at what we were doing with the client. And in their mind, all they could think about was like, I need to diagnose this issue. And they were just looking at me saying, okay, let's just, let's just work on some movement and see what happens. And I'm not saying that's the right way, but if you always need to just, if you can't get your head away from diagnosing something and instead bring your mind to like what we're going to do about it, which isn't a scan or an injection or manual therapy, it's like, okay, fine. We acknowledge that this area seems to be overloaded in some way for some reason. Now let's get to work. Um, in a safe and logical manner, of course, then, then you're going to struggle. So I understand the, the, the need to feel the safety behind diagnosing something and putting a label on something, but it is definitely holding um, therapists back, I think. So that's what I would say. Definitely underprepared and I know as long as you acknowledge you're underprepared and as long as you acknowledge that regardless of what industry you're in, really where you're going to learn is in the thick of things. It's not going to be in university. It's never going to be in university. It's going to be actually at the coalface working with people who are standing in front of you and learning to communicate with them people and learning to actually find the gray area and things and that university doesn't do a good job with that in any like i went to i went to business school and i'm running a business now and guess what i learned zero about what i'm learning now and i i don't even i do like i don't i don't blame university for that like for not teaching me anything it's it's fake. It's, it's, you just can't, it's impossible. Like if I went in there and tried to design a curriculum 
with people sitting in 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 the classroom and, and listening to me lecturing about business i yeah it would i would try and make it better than it was but like ultimately they have to go and actually try and do something I, a bias towards action a bias towards going out and trying to make money going out and trying to make decisions under pressure and that's ve- you can't you just can't replicate that um in any university in any course to be honest i don't think um it's going to you're going to have you're going to struggle to replicate that so yes i think um young man um i can't remember your name but the you're going to be you're going to be underprepared i know you feel overwhelmed at the moment um but if you acknowledge that and you just get your reps in, then you're going to be fine. Um, okay. And then finally, would you ever train ribs up and an anterior tilt with someone? So I think it's important. Absolutely. I would, I don't discriminate when it comes to movement in any way, shape or form. If I see someone that struggles to move in a particular direction, in a particular way, then I'm going to help them move in that way. It doesn't matter if it's been labeled as anterior tilt, posterior tilt, a hike of the pelvis, rib flare, or ribs down. I am going to help them move in that direction if I feel like they can't move. I feel like I I I try not to label because I just think of it as, I just think of it as pretty logically. I don't think of like these things as good or bad. I just strip away that language completely. And I've spoken about that as well before, how we just want to see what is in front of us, what n- not what's good or bad, just what is, what is happening and what isn't happening as importantly. Pronation, supination, what way can't they move? Let's help them access those movements. So if you have joints in your body that are the shape of the joints, the articular surface, surface, the articular surface dictates where you can move and where the potential for where you can move and where you can't move. Then if you have that movement potential, but you can't move there, then I'm going to try and help you move there. If you don't have that movement potential, I'm not too worried about it. If our joints and our articular surface doesn't, if, if the shape of it says, okay, of course, your knee shouldn't be able to move in that direction. Then I'm not going to go there with you because you're moving into supra physiological places. You're moving into pathology, probably. But the only thing is, I, I just don't discriminate. I just say, ribs up. It's not bad. You can't do it. Let's help you do it. And for the most part, I think that's a good strategy to help someone. Now, presuming it's relevant to them, of course, but. Um, you'll see that I put up a post with um, belly breathing the other day, how uh, I was talking about the pelvis and how doing some belly breaths first for this particular case made everything else be- a lot a- move a lot better, a lot smoother. And like that's that belly breathing is going to facilitate more of an anterior pelvic tilt and a ribs up position because this person was caught in like a ribs down and more of a posterior t- tilted position and like an anterior shifted position where the pelvis was shoved forward. So, um, so definitely a little bit of belly breathing in there. Um, I don't encourage people to belly breathe all day. Like some yoga people do. I don't think that the, the breath should only go into the belly or anything like that. But do you have, do you have potential? Should be, should you be able to get some expansion in that direction? Absolutely. So when I came across a client that couldn't expand in any way there, that's pretty much the first thing we do. What's the big elephant in the room? Where's the like biggest place that you can't seem to open up? And also, if you think about it from a muscle point of view, like 
a good principle is like why where are you just not happy to lengthen into and some people are not happy to lengthen into like the front of their body in that way to get the ribs up and the pelvis to anterior tilt it's important to get both of those together if you're looking for some length especially through the rectus a lot of people will do like um a back bend type of movement or they're trying to get their ribs up but actually their pelvis is posterior tilting and shifting forward and kind of like aggressively tucking up at the same time and actually they're probably only getting a little bit of length through the more proximal rectus um so if you want like length through the the, the through both you need an anterior tilt and the ribs to come up at the same time so i would say uh, do you ever train ribs up and anterior tilt? Absolutely. I don't discriminate. I think you just got to move to, to both directions and you'll actually see a ton of people that don't anterior tilt well. And you'll see a ton of people that don't lift their ribs up well. And, um, they need definitely need to be able to do that. So I think, um, that's the end of the podcast. I hope it was okay for you. I'm just finishing the hygienist. Actually, I, I book into the hygienist every six months when I'm, when I'm leaving, I book in. And um, my God, I got my teeth clean there, so my mouth feels a little bit funny. So apologies if you hear me like swallowing and stuff a lot. Um, so yeah, it was actually it was actually like not that bad. I just kind of have a an ability to like try and shut off my brain completely, whereas zero thought. I just close my eyes and I almost like fall asleep in there, even though she's ripping the teeth out of my head. Um, and she always tells me to floss every single time and i'm at the stage now where literally like before the first three or four times that i went to her i thought like i was like yeah i should actually floss this time i was like i'm not gonna fucking floss not a chance um so yeah i've just accepted that i'm just not someone that's gonna floss so um yeah hygienist was good and i i'm happy that i do that because at least if i'm not going to floss she'll floss for me every six months so hope the podcast was helpful um if it was maybe let me know give it a share or something like that that would be that would be good that would be very helpful for me and apart from that i'll chat to you guys next week 